0: Says, get that India, big boy! Mike Iscedo,
1: call an ambulance! Maybe call a friend! Oh, what a shot! What a shot! Campbell, kill him! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tip Shed. I'm your host, John, also known as Forty Twenty in rugby league circles. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. Always a pleasure to have the big man on board and running the show with me. How are you doing today, champ?
0: Mate, good to be here. Good to be able to speak to you again, and good to be able to put together a podcast for our listeners. I think you're going to enjoy today, everyone. We've got um, a really interesting guest first up for everyone to listen to. Uh, We've also got um, Joey Grimer joining us a little bit later, but I think we need to get into it because it's... uh, going to be one of our most interesting podcasts we've been able to provide for you recently.
1: So without any further ado, I'll let you uh, cue us into our next guest.
0: Our guest today has an interesting journey, starting as a young musician in an award-winning band, going through to being a family man with a career in real estate, and a recent return to gigging and recording. And of course, he's featuring on our podcast as he's a big EELS supporter. Sean Diveny, welcome to The Tip Sheet. Hey, thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, no dramas, mate. Um, the success of your group, Short Stack, came when you were fairly young. How much yeah. did your age impact what you were doing from the way you approached writing music and gigging to the business side of the industry? We pretty. Um, we were about 20 when it all took off,
2: so we were very, very young. Um, the business side of things um, was pretty much non-existent because we were just out of high school mm-hmm. and, like, we um, about as far as the business side of it went, we were just um, at the start. We were like, "Oh well," in a cabaret, I travel and a couple of a bit on the rider, get some beers on there. We're good. So yeah, and then um, obviously it sort of took off, which no one really expected. So we sort of had to be a bit more professional about it.
1: And it might be a bit of a rhetorical question, mate, but was it a fun time?
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, it was so much
0: fun. It was, um, it's like, that's what we sort of
2: missed more than anything. Like, it's fun to play shows and stuff like that, but now I'm, like, a bit older and I have so much more uh, responsibilities. It's, it's just like, it was the best job in world. Like, you get paid to play music and just hang out with your friends. It was like, it was pretty cool.
1: Oh, It seems, seems exactly like that. And a, about six years ago, you did step away from the music. What was the reason yeah. for that?
2: Mainly because you're away from home so much. It was really hard to sort of maintain a normal... Like, we were going to have kids and stuff like that, a normal family, like when you're, a, um, when you're on the road constantly. So when I... Um, and an other part of it as well is, like, I sort of didn't want to be a musician forever. Like, I sort of wanted to do something else as well. No, that's, and the uh, other boys were like that too.
1: That That is a very sensible response. And that, that whole... <laughs> that, but that, that family decision... Is uh, you know, it's a big one. It probably runs a little bit in parallel to a lot of the footballers at the moment as well. You know, they're yeah, already-
2: definitely. And I don't know how they do it. Hey, like I think Sean Johnson's just gone back to New Zealand. And when you're younger, you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, he's playing music or he's playing footy for a job. Like when you're younger, you're like that'd be the best thing ever. But then when you're older, the responsibility of it all, the priorities shift too.
0: Exactly. And actually, recently I heard you describe what Shortstack's doing now as a passion project. So yeah. you've, you've come back to it. It's a bit more of a passion project, and that resonated with me because what we do at the Cumberland throws is a passion project. We're not, we're not yeah. doing it to uh, make a career out of it. So what does that term passion project mean to you?
2: Well, we started doing it because we um, we got back together initially because we – we missed doing it. We missed hanging out. And, um, yeah, it, would be, it had been five or six years but until we'd um, since we'd done anything, so we didn't really know if anyone cared anymore. And we had no plans on kind of doing anything. We just wanted to play a couple of shows and then wrap it up. And then, um, yeah, all the shows sold out super quick. And then we put on second ones, and they sold out too. And we ended up getting a record deal. <laughs> so we're like recording an album. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> all this stuff yeah. happened that we didn't really and once not the right word but we didn't even plan on it
1: no but you know it's it's amazing how life can throw you these change-ups and curveballs isn't it you know you get the band back yeah. together you were meant to tour last year right before the whole covid uh <laughs> kerfuffle yeah. went down so i mean to get back together get a deal and then tour again that's just amazing
2: yeah we were we were pretty blown away by it and when this all um we've got a few things lined up for next year like a couple of festivals and stuff which hopefully they'll go ahead but and that's like like we didn't plan on that sort of stuff happening, so oh, awesome. we just we feel like just a couple, couple old dads now. So <laughs> like, uh, like, hey, like like fine
1: wine, you just get better of age, yeah.
2: Well, the crazy thing is, like we go there, and we're, I'm only thirty, so I'm still younger than the majority of people that are <laughs> doing it now, and we we've been doing it for like a decade. Well, do
0: you, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's funny, it's funny you say that because um, I was talking to you before we started recording, and I mentioned that I'm a bit older and. I've got hearing that's been smashed from going to see bands in the uh, early to late 80s. Um, but when I was... Uh, it depends on the gigs that I go to. It's, uh, I, go to a, I could go to a gig and, you know, even though UMI's got a, a slightly older following, I could go to a UMI gig and I'll be one of the oldest blokes there. I can go and see a band from the 80s like The Radiators and I look around, I'm one of the youngest people. That's, it's that's funny, in the yeah. audience. It's always <laughs> it's always interesting. So it's that sort of stuff. Hundred percent.
1: the The evolution of a band's music is always fascinating to track when you're listening to it. Have your musical influences stayed much the same, or would you say they've changed a lot over the years for your band and for yourself?
2: I think it, I think everyone's music kind of changes heaps. I think we um, with this latest record that we've done, we got signed to um, UNFD, which mm-hmm. is like the biggest sort of. I think they're the biggest independent in the country. They're not a major label, and they were just like, "Do whatever you want." And we were like, "All right, sweet." So we um, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. <laughs> just gave us a check and sent us in the studio, which is pretty cool. So we just um, yeah, we I listened to um, the stuff I listen to now is pretty, pretty like a whole bunch of like really crappy emo bands from america like sorority noise and pop and stuff which like no one ever really listens to (laughs) so i'm like oh i can't really make music like that because that's kind of what i enjoy but um yeah obviously we grew up you know listening to green day and blink and stuff Mm -hmm. like
1: that yeah very very iconic bands for everyone of our generation even the the younger generation still uh tap into (laughs) that
0: it's so weird (laughs) would would it be fair to assume that you've got a different approach to writing music that's been reflected in a couple of those recently releases like Burn You Down and Live For?
2: Yeah, definitely. So it's, um, I suppose a lot of it's more in the studio kind of thing, so we collaborated a lot more this time. In the past, what we do, I just write the songs and we just go in there and do it. But this time, we have like a, a home studio as well. So um, Brady has a studio in his house. So we um, we pretty much did everything Production-wise, there like added all the electronics and a lot of the a lot of the stuff we did there. That's awesome. And then we just went into a, a proper studio to do like drums and so make sure the drums sound really good mm-hmm. and all the live elements of it. So yeah, the biggest difference is this time going in, we, we kind of had everything
1: mapped out before we went in. Oh, that's uh, oh. you go sixties.
0: Oh no, I was just going to say it's it's always interested me about the um, that collaborative processes in bands because um in a lot of bands you would you'd have someone who would be the main contributor to uh writing the music but you'd also have um agreements where because everyone's throwing in their their ideas and what have you that the song credit might go to everyone or then there's ones where it might go to one or two individuals within the band is yeah. is that a, a total collaborative process now for you or is it, is, do you it still is have someone somewhere. that comes in with the main idea? So I
2: usually come up with the majority of the ideas, but some of them have come from Brady and Andy this time, which is something that's not really happened before. We kind of have a hands-on approach to sort of everything. So Brady has a lot of the production side of things. Andy will do like the majority of the graphic design work that we have and I sort of do the majority of the songs. So everything is kind of split three ways between us. We all kind of all have our um, own sort of the jobs and our own sort of roles and yeah, that's kind of the best
1: way that we, that we sort of want to deal with it. And uh, audiences enjoy hearing the songs they're familiar with when it comes to bands but I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll say I'd like to think but I actually know for a fact that your new music's been received really well by your audience. Um, the YouTube comments are fa- there's always a, 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 you know, a pretty vocal negative in YouTube comments but going on um, Burn You Down everyone's very happy with the song and I noticed um, Lewis Spears has uh, sent you some love as well along the way. Um how how have you, how have you taken your new music been received as after the bands come back together?
2: The trick is just to write really, really bad music in the past. So you really it <laughs> it's only up from there. Up. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the self-deprecation, um, mate, but uh no. Uh, Burn You Down is a banger and it's got a, a fantastic uh uh video to go along with it. You guys did a great job shooting out in Western Sydney, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah. We did a um old abattoir. So the uh the video director he um yeah he did a lot of work on that one we just kind of rocked up and then oh, okay, yeah. to... hang
0: on hang on don't take don't take away some of the credit that's there because there's a a great behind the scenes um <laughs> uh, work that's uh, that video that you've got up which is for anyone anyone that's uh interested in seeing how a, how a clips put together it's uh, it's an entertaining behind the scenes video that you've made to go with the with the release yeah,
2: that was it. Was pretty fun to do that one, and then it's just like, I was, by the end of the day, you you pretty. It's not really hard work, but you kind of you're a bit over it. <laughs> so, yeah, about an hour or two to go to start cracking the beers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, that
1: that is very relatable, I think, for everyone, no matter what your walk of life is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, you look like you look like blokes that have been mates from your teenage years that have got together to. Have a bit of a drink and a chat and have a bit of fun. So that's how that's, that's how it came across. It
2: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it is. We I mean, uh, have a bit too much fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but sorry, I, I did distract you from your uh, from answering that, that question that uh that John just put to you about um you know how it's all been received and the banger of a song that burn you down is
2: It blows us away, to be honest with you. Like we very few people are sort of in a position where, you know, I get to play music that people kind of like. And even if you're in a position where we are, where we've been fortunate enough to do it for so long. So, yeah, it's kind of um, – it's, it's a really humbling feeling.
0: Now, you've been married to your beautiful wife, Brooke, for around five years, and you got two yeah. sons, Atticus and Leo. And I I had I did mention to you when uh, I was communicating to you before the we we've done this talk today that Leo's my father's name and it's John's father's name, so that, that's, that's quite interesting. Um, does family life influence your approach to music? Not so much to music, more so,
2: oh, uh, maybe, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I suppose it would, in a way, we're, um, yeah, we're sort of, me and my wife never really thought we'd be like those family people, I guess, but then we had kids and we're like, we turned into those boring family people. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we just hang out with our kids all day, that's kind of what we do, so. That's, yeah, that's sweet, you, mate. You, uh,
1: you make it sound mundane, but it is very, very sweet. That's awesome.
2: A oh, 100%. Yeah, it's like, no, I should rather be. It's kind of a good thing about COVID because now, you know, now I have an excuse to not go out oh, and just uh. stay <laughs> <laughs> home.
1: <laughs> all right let's uh switch gears from music to footy because uh tct yes. is a football site um there seems to be a lot of eel supporters where you're from the central coast i know about the 60s he's got a few friends uh that support the blonde Gold from that way how did you become a para fan yourself mate it
2: was my um uh, my mum's father and my mum my maternal grandfather he liked the eels so we um yeah i sort of fell into it my dad's a um my dad's a magpie supporter so he's um and he, he converted to a target supporter. So yeah, the, um, the, the love for Mitchell Moses isn't shared.
1: That's a, that's a great way to lead us into, um, my next question, because over those years of following the team, uh, do you have a favorite memory or a favorite player? I
2: have a really favorite memory actually. So we, um, we went to the me and my dad. I took my dad down to the um, the semi final where we lost. But the one, um, I forget who we were even playing. But it was it might have been 2017, and we were in the stadium. And it was, um, I think, semi intercepted a ball in the, the
1: the Cowboys the game. Would have been. And, yeah,
0: Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. it was.
1: Semi, yeah. semi took the kick cross field and then ran 100 meters of score.
2: Yeah, just like screaming in the semi final, fireworks going off everywhere, and with my old man. That was a pretty cool memory. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of favorite players, I, I do like Guffo. I think Guffo's pretty cool. I think he's just, uh, rock, yeah, he's just rock a rock solid pick, I have. think,
1: right there. I think a lot of fans resonate with Guffo's energy, which is a a, a good way yeah. to build, build around a team, I think.
2: He loves it, hey?
0: he <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta go with the bloke that's, um, all in with his footy and. Uh, looks like he's having great fun out there. Um, yeah. it, look, for me, my passion for the Eels started from going to the footy with my dad. You've just spoken a bit about the family connections with football. Uh, but you've just recently posted some terrific father and son' photos from when you took Atticus to the Eels game against the Knights up at up at Newcastle. Are you going to yeah, pass that on that, that love game. of the footy and power to your son?
2: Yeah, well, hopefully... Um... They've never won a premiership in my lifetime, so hopefully they'll win one in his lifetime. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, that was the first game we went to because, obviously, we live on the coast. We live Mm -hmm. a bit away from Bank West. We don't get out there as much as we'd like. So, yeah, we went and uh, a bunch of my mates from Newcastle. So we went up there and sat with the Newcastle supporters and watched Power smash them. It was pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing quite like getting to an away game where it's a smashing and you can yeah, just enjoy yourself with the uh, with the, the supporters get – the other supporters get a bit salty around you. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I think Madison went over in the eighth minute or something. That's
1: right. Yep. he scored early. Yep.
0: <laughs> now, there's uh, quite a few
1: people in the music industry who love their footy, who love their NRL, but uh, given the NRL generally schedules all of our big games um, at nighttime, it must make uh, those sort of gigs tough to get to because you have gigs as a musician.
2: Yeah. We used to, um, back in the day – We used to travel, and I used to just watch the games on the apps when we were driving from place (laughs) to place. That was kind of cool. But yeah, I try and get to as many as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah,
0: I love it. And um, and just talking about apps, and then also leading into social media, it's obviously fairly critical in success of bands in the music industry. How critical do you think the various social media platforms are in connecting teams to fans?
2: I think they do a really good job of it. Um, I think sometimes, obviously, they it's more detrimental than it's positive sometimes. <laughs> but I suppose that's the same with anything, isn't it? I think they're in such a oh, they're in such a delicate position where the players are just obviously, you know, it's a, they get paid well and stuff like that. But it's so different to music because in music, you're not really expected to be a role model. People kind of like it when you're, you know, mm. you're you're your own boss, sort of thing. Like you don't you don't really have to answer to a CEO of a company or anything. So, yeah, I feel it's, um, yeah, it would be a lot harder for
0: them than it would be a musician. And it, and- oh, yeah, you can you can uh, absolutely see that, um, as you say, some people in that have a lot of social media around them, are yeah, not expecting to be role models, but it's very much the case for footballers. I, I did notice that there was um, a bit of uh, fun videos that the players are starting to put up, from within their bubble, there was a a match, a swimming match race between some of the younger Paraboys that uh, was posted up on Instagram today. I think those sorts of things are good because fans tend to, oh, I don't know whether it's they live vicariously through the players. There's but there like is definitely an
1: element of living vicariously, but there's also just that, yeah, just that the... connection, I think, in general. Because you're watching people live their best life, and that's a good thing, yeah. I think.
2: And it makes it sort of um, relatable, I guess, because you're like, well, at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of dudes, you know? Like, it's, um, they're doing their best, and I think a lot of people sort of put a lot more, uh, myself included, you know? I hate when para. Lose on the Thursday or Friday because it my weekend. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now
1: that that is relatable to every fan, I think. <laughs> oh, right,
0: mate, you, just... you should you should try to come up with uh, football site content after a loss. <laughs> it's like, oh, mate, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to write about it. But damn, we got it, and. At least you had a Donnie's <laughs> podcast, it'd be a pretty pretty <laughs>
1: bleak year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh, let's look at the uh, the pointy end of the football season now, with yeah. the uh, Eels rounding out the, the final straight to uh, the post-season. Do you think there's uh, any one player in particular, by your eyes, that's going to be critical to our chances in 2021?
2: i thought about this a lot. Um, I reckon Fergo, which is, might be a bit of a controversial answer, but uh, that, I that, think that,
1: just... It's not a bad pick because that's something that 60's actually raised a couple of podcasts ago, didn't you, mate? Talking about getting Fergo back to his best and what it means when you're playing the likes of the Panthers and the Storm having that game-breaking winger in good form.
2: Yeah. And just he's he's been there, you know? I think he's finals experience. He would possibly have more finals experience than big game experience than maybe the rest of the whole team put together. It wouldn't be far
0: off, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a fair call.
2: He has the ability just to like, like I don't know, I don't know why he got dropped or anything. He might be lazy or whatever, but like even what he did against the Raiders, like he's a difference maker, and not a lot of players can do that. like you know he turned the game in a play which really couldn't have been turned. and you know, I think not a lot of not a lot of other wingers out there and you know have the have the ability to do that.
1: no, I, I like that call because the easy one, obviously is you know Mitchell Moses Reid Marnie. Going for one of the yeah. spine players there, but no, Blake Ferguson is a very good pick there. Just
2: the hit ups that you see, and, and Hayes is doing a great job too, but obviously he's young and just uh, that finals experience. I, I don't know, I've never played footy, <laughs> but I can imagine it playing, you know, a semi final and playing uh, and, yeah, and it, playing at the pointy uh, end.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, when he first joined the Eels, one of the things that uh, came across when I was uh, watching training sessions was the amount of talking that he did, the amount of coaching that he did for the young players. And if Fergo's in that mindset where he's decided that he is going to be the difference maker, that he is going to um, provide the the team with something that no one else can do, and I don't think there's any shortage of ego where he'd have that in his head that hey, I'm I'm going to make the difference here. As you say, that could be. Um, the critical element for the team uh, between now and the end of the year.
2: And I feel, you know, I think he obviously got dropped the reserve grade, which, you know, he's he's won you know, two apprenticeships or something like that. And he's he's won Origins and stuff like that. And I feel, you know, he handled that that whole experience with like a smile on his face and, and with a lot of grace about it as well. So, yeah, I think uh, I reckon we'd miss him if he wasn't there.
0: Well, we've got a tough draw coming up and it starts with the Roosters this week. A win mm. can put a four point buffer between us and them. What's your tip for this week, mate?
2: It's a big game, isn't it? Yeah. Because, um, and Mitch isn't back
1: yet either, is he? No, he, No. still no. put him up in mm. our in cotton wool oh, for another God.
2: week. <laughs> it's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Oh, I feel we learned a lot from last week. I feel you know, it was a it was such a tough game in a in a competition where there's so many blowouts, you know. I can't remember a game being tighter than that, but I think if the game would have gone for another five or ten minutes, we, p- we probably would have won it. And I think that's what the boys are going to take away from it as well. Maybe they were just a little bit slow to start, but, mm-hmm. yeah. it's um. I suppose in past years, we've had a pretty cruisy run to the finals, haven't we? Yeah, season.
1: this is an interesting inversion of that, isn't it? Uh, we a got yeah. a real gauntlet, so you get past the yeah. Roosters – like, like you said, you know, hopefully we learn the lesson from last week. We start a little bit faster, have a little bit more polish. H- how do you call the rest of that regular season? Do we hold on to our top four spot and then have a big dance of either Melbourne or Penrith in the first week of the finals?
2: Well, You sort of almost don't want to, really, do you? <laughs> it, 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 it's
1: a tough call, isn't it? Because, uh, yeah. you know, they're obviously two of the big dogs. We did win against Melbourne in round two, and we did push Penrith to a one-point loss where we we're both missing a key player in the spine, Nathan Cleary for them, and obviously Reed Money for us. But yeah. I suppose the, the the argument there would be that you got to beat them at some point to go through the finals. one at week one?
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, I feel what would be fantastic for us, and this is me, you know, be Brad Arthur if you're listening, mate, call me up if you the But uh, <laughs> the be almost better to finish fifth or sixth because the the fight for seven and eight, the sort of a difference here to us and the rest of the competition, it'd almost be better to finish there, have a really good finals week one, just have that confidence that we'd actually, you know, won a prelim now for the first time in a while, going into the second game. And, you know, I think in past years, I think it was especially that that year with Semi where, where we lost to the Cowboys where we almost played our grand final against Melbourne the week before. It was such a tight, yeah. such a tight gritty game. And then we, we kind of just came undone to the Cowboys. So ultimately made it ultimately managed to the grand final. It was sort of Stephen and Brad did their way through. But, um, yeah, we sort of it'd be interesting to see if we did come fifth or sixth got a really good win the week before and then just steamroll through
1: the logistics of the postseason uh, a lot of moving pieces isn't it it's a uh, you know it's not as simple as just you know go in there and win there is certainly some uh, critical thought to those different placement finishes so Definitely. yeah it's
2: such a game of momentum and confidence too isn't it and yeah i think um I think
0: this is probably our best chance, though, with the roster we got. And, yeah, in and the interesting 20... thing, too, is there, there isn't an advantage of a home final for any of the teams. No, if they no. if if all this lockdown keeps playing out as is expected, we're going to have a final series played up in Queensland. So no, no team is going to get that advantage. Oh, maybe Melbourne can say that their location up in Queensland is almost like a home game for them. But as far as all the Sydney clubs are concerned, no one's getting a home finals. Match,
2: it's not bank west, is it? It's uh, no, yeah, no. It's sort of a disadvantage too. It's um, oh, it'd be interesting. Say. I suppose everyone's on the same on the same level though. Even the Titans, like it is a home game, but they've got no fans anyway. So <laughs> 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 well, well,
0: mate, look, we've we've had a blast talking to you about uh about music and and footy and. um yeah, really enjoyed having you on the podcast this week. It uh, might be something that we do again down the track if you're up for it. Yeah, would love that. Thanks so much for having me. And I was Mate, really appreciated your time. Cheers. Make sure you check yeah, out
1: ShockStats Shock stuff um, on, I suppose, you know, YouTube's always accessible, but on um, major streaming sites like Spotify, you'd be up there too, wouldn't you, mate? Yeah, I
2: think yeah. so.
1: Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had a gander and you. You are definitely on Spotify. So um, you, you hit the mainstream for sure there. So, uh, but yeah, a pleasure to have you on, Sean. And uh, keep well in these times, mate. We we'll look forward to having you on in the future. Thanks,
2: please.
1: Thanks for your time. Have a good one. All right, 60s. Let's pivot to another guest and one that is uh, far more familiar to regulars of the tip sheet, one that we always love to have on the show, Joey Grimer. Uh, it's uh, been a little bit. Because of circumstances, I suppose we've um we got you back for a recording recently, but it's good to have you back on for a consistent show, mate.
3: Yeah, mate. Um, th- thank you. Uh, it's great to be back in these um, difficult circumstances, and I hope all your listeners, uh, all your listeners are, you know, doing a okay. uh, We're all in this together. Um, and with Gladys's, um, you know, projections today, another four week lockdown and mm-hmm. health and is paramount so uh, i sent a number of text messages and um um you know phone calls to a lot of our coaching staff and our juniors over the past two or three weeks because um yeah it, it's difficult for some but I'll, i'm pretty fortunate that um uh, my wife and i have got a uh, our circumstances are a lot better than a lot of other people so um i just hope all your listeners out there are, are doing okay
0: yeah, it's challenging times, isn't it, mate? It's just um, uh, that, and when it feels like there isn't an, an end in sight, and we've ended up with um, obviously an end to, although it's not official yet, I would assume an end to the uh, community rugby league and uh, the lower grades for the season.
3: Yeah, I think that's inevitable. However, in saying that, I knew New Well, I know New South Wales Rugby League are still looking into. To see what options are available, I think it's quite important for the mental well-being of young men, young women um, in sport in general. So even that the competition is different in some sort of format and becomes a, a gala day. I'm, I'm more or less talking about community footy. Um, I think it benefits, you know, some people. But um, I think the writing's on the wall, and it's n- no one's fault other than the circumstances we're in, and. Um, yeah, it, it, it may end up like that, um, but I think everyone's better off <laughs> um, because we didn't know, didn't know how to deal with it, and I think there's a little bit a uh, better of understanding and um, you know more resources out there. So it's a shame because as you uh, you guys always talk about our uh, knock on a fat cup, we're doing a wonderful job, second <laughs> spot and um, a really good platform for. Um, right
1: Excuses, is, uh, is that your sixties? Okay, we're back. <laughs> Sorry, Joey. <laughs> You're right, mate. <laughs> Do you want to start that again? No, no. We'll keep, we'll keep rolling. It's all good.
0: Uh, so, uh, just, just with regard to um, the current circumstance with the players relocating up to the bubble up in the. Up in Queensland I wanted to push your mind a little bit because you've had you've had experience with touring teams you've worked with the Papua New Guinea team in international football and uh, being away with them Um, you've also coached over in England so you've been away from uh, apart from having your family there you've you've been away from uh, a lot of other loved ones I just wanted to ask you about what the situation would be like in this short term like a camp slash tour situation that all the teams are in up in queensland at the moment is there likely to be more advantages or disadvantages i'm just wondering about your perspective on this
3: yeah it's, it's a really interesting one um um my, my um, travels when i moved to the uk i was fortunate uh, to coach in the super league and took my wife and kids over there. The fact that I was there for two years allowed me um, a, little bit, a little bit more stability and it allowed me to um, get used to the surroundings and and whatever whatever the new familiar is or the normality or, or the whatever the new normal was, I got to experience that in uh, uh, two years. However, with the current climate of um, the Players Hub up in uh, Queensland, um, there's a number of things that... Um, really, going to affect or have affected the fact that they were told um, nine days that this could be an option to keep rugby league going. If you're having to lose not only yourself, um, but if you're involved, you've got a wife and, and kids and so forth, in nine days' time, that starts the anxiety. Whilst your job to play rugby league, um, you know, that's going to have an effect on your decision-making process and your overall well-being. So that was probably the, the hardest thing to deal with. Um, the reality uh, becoming real that all the players were going to relocate. Given the circumstances with the partners and uh, the extension or the likely extension to the end of the year, even to play the grand final in Queensland, the NRL decided that they would um, offer the opportunity for partners and, and, and family to move up there. Now, There's the normal stuff that we think about uh, relocating to another area um, for a short period of time, and I've had experiences with that in PNG um, and certainly uh, when I coached in England, uh, because I coached in London, we would have to travel um, four or five hours to get to the northern belt where the rugby league is played. So when you're away for two or three days, it doesn't really have an effect on you in your preparation or your anxiety levels, because it's only for a really short period of time. The fact that the players are aware that it's going to be a minimum of four weeks um, from the outset, and it could be, a, 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 it could extend out to eight weeks and could go to the end of the year. There's a lot of things uh, that, that, that they need to think of. If they've got, the, if, uh, as like me, and um, um, you've, got, you've got pets, what do you do with those pets? You can't just give your dog or cat to someone and say, can you look after them? So there's a lot of other things outside your family um, that you need to um, um, consider or organise or have things done. The maintenance of the yard, if you've got a pool, those type of things that uh, you don't necessarily think about when you're told to relocate um, but are real-life situations that you're going to have to deal with. Uh, when you're away or have someone do that for you and there's that added pressure uh, financially and emotionally for when you're away for these periods of time we're talking about four eight and possibly 12 weeks however there are some advantages um, in this in that it can um, um, it can galvanize a side spending a lot more time with each other um, in a facility that is uh, new so the level of excitement and anticipation and surroundings somewhat is uh, uh, new and exciting and interesting, um, but I would suggest that after the first three or four weeks, um, there may be more uh, negatives than positives. However, looking at the overall scheme of the things, if we don't have these hub, we don't have Rugby League. That's and a- I would
0: imagine... I was just going to say, Joey, I would imagine when you're talking about a group of 30 players for each team, and that's not including the um, staff and officials, that sort of thing, but that group of 30 players, you're you're going to have blokes in there that are going to adjust to it in different ways. Some that might not be able to adjust very well, maybe. And that might apply to those who aren't getting any game time, who are basically going away for... This period of time, and uh, they're just training, and and that's about it. Um, yes, yes, and then there'll be the, there'll be those that, as you said, they might have home circumstances that they might have had to rely on a lot of people to look after things at home for them, um, and maybe that's a little bit up in the air about how how solid those arrangements, are. like the, just the little things that might play on their mind. Uh, while they're away for such an extended period of time
3: oh absolutely um sixties and and they're the things that people don't necessarily think about there's there's the there's the obvious ones um that um you know when someone relocates for a three month period there are the obvious ones um, that you need to consider but there's a lot of other things uh that um don't come to the forefront of when someone has to move and when you do move and you know you're talking to people or you realize after the fact then your concerns about, oh, no, I've got to do this or can I speak? And you put an added pressure on someone else if you can't do it yourself. So as I said to you, the level of uh, anxiousness and anxiety, um, um, is it getting done, um, is certainly a- an issue. But going back to your your, your earlier point, um, we've got a huge, um, we've got a diverse range of people. Uh, Players and staff, um, some uh, immature by age. I don't mean that by mental capacity, but um, young in age. And we've got some more seasoned players. Uh, we've got players that that have a, a family network, um, and there's a, a players that we are, that are single. Um, so the level of uh, responsibility um, changes considerably between each group, squad, um, playing roster, and staff. Um, as well as that, you're going to have uh, situations where uh, spending more time with someone or a group of people uh, may create angst, um, discomfort, um, frustration, um, and could cause us own internal problems as well. So that would be considered a, a disadvantage. You know yourself um, when you when when potentially you're with your partner or. Your friends, uh, consistently for a lengthy period of time, you can get on each other's nerves, and where you work. No,
2: in no.
3: <laughs> yes, and I'm not suggesting my wife because she never gets on my nerves, and I'm sure. Actually, I know this. I never get on her nerves, so um, yeah. So there, there, there are uh, uh, negatives and positives, and uh, uh, for, for everything, but. There's a lot of things that um, your listeners um, may not be aware of that uh, things you need to uh, look into when you move. And I'll just challenge you on this. Okay, you're a family, you're married, you've got two kids, a dog, and you're renting an apartment in Piermont Now, that's just hypothetical. And you're told um, 11 days that um, you need to move to uh, Brisbane, um, uh, relocate and train at a venue. And there could be the possibility that your wife and two kids are going to be moved up um, in the second week. It's a lot to take on whilst you're trying to keep uh, calm. Oh, by the way, um, you're player number 26. You've only played uh, one Mm. game off the bench this year for your NRL club. Oh, and there's no knock-on effect. (laughs)
1: Logistically, emotionally, psychologically, there's a lot of tolls there. It it is
3: not um, simple. your, Your contract ceases this year and you're a, a development contract.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose the uh, the other side of that is there'd be some young blokes that don't have any responsibilities, so this would be like a great adventure. And um, that's what you were alluding to before. You were talking yeah. about,
3: you know, the, the different levels of, of, of players in, in, in each group, the young ones, the, up, the off-season ones. Exactly. And where you... Your training staff and support staff can uh, keep a closer eye on these uh, younger players. is a huge benefit to them, so they're not eating what they shouldn't be eating. They're on tap as far as being available to do uh, further training or reduce their skin folds. So, yes, certainly that's a positive um, for those younger ones. But uh, um, you could also appreciate, uh, guys, that. or young 16 17 and 18 you are normally um, reliant on your family your parents so this is a uh, like taking a fish out of water because they're having to fend and and you know um, look after themselves essentially which isn't a bad thing and then you've got the third part where you've got the cultural sensitivities um, we've got a lot of specific players which food faith and um, um, family are huge in their everyday living. And when you haven't got the family and the faith per se, um, and you've got the food, um, it does happen. It can upset uh, upset someone or it can change the way that a player is feeling or training. Um, so there's, it's a massive, massive um, adjustment that, that each player and partner Child,
1: need to make. Round 19, Joey. Obviously, a tough loss to the Raiders, which uh, sparked plenty of uh, rugged discussion among fans, which has been done to death by this point. But that game's significant for another reason, another piece, another pillar for the future. Will Penasini making his debut at right centre. Uh, we already spoke about him in our Instant Reaction podcast, and we're quite pleased of how the young boy handled it up against a seasoned vet in Jared Croker. How did you see... The development and arrival of another huge piece of that junior process for the Eels.
3: Yeah, exactly like you just said, uh, John. Um, uh, we've we've all been watching Will uh, come through our programs. Um, this is the fifth year he's been in our program, and uh, like Jake and Sean, um, he looked so natural out there. In fact, um, whenever he got the ball, he looked he uh, looked like something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, You've mentioned uh, uh, Kroker. Croker's I think he's going to hit 300 games this year. I can't, I don't know for sure, but I think he might be a dozen or two dozen games off off 300. So it's a fair opposition that he's up against. And he had a a lot of troubles uh, croaking that. He's had a lot of uh, troubles containing Will with his explosion and his evasion and his power, which we all knew that he had. Um, Just going through some of the stats, I think he carried for about 160 metres, but... Uh, but uh, there was about 70 or 80 metres he had uh, post-contact. So we're um, talking about a seasoned uh, centre in Croker and a young buck that's debuted uh, making uh, 80 metres post-contact. Um, all the training, everything that um, the S&C staff have been doing, everything we've seen about, um, you know, came to the surface on that game. I think, um, if I can remember correctly... In the whole game a- out of Parramatta, I think he was second post contact metres to um, Ice.
1: Correct. Correct. Team. That is that is spot on. Yeah, Ice with uh, uh, nearly a hundred, and then Will uh, with seventy four. So
0: yeah,
3: and and look, um, it, it, I, I,
0: did I, it did I, it surprise I, you that that quality of his debut?
3: Uh, I would never say never. I was really excited um, at uh, how he played um, some. These young people, these young kids now, um, there used to be a time where you'd just be respectful and just get yourself into the game and you just do what you do and no one ever noticed you when you debuted. But now these young men are coming onto the scene. The amount of confidence that they've got in their own ability and in the training that's been uh, provided to them, they've just got the utmost confidence and that that I see that week in and week out with Will Pennacini at Harold Matthews SG Ball, um, a knock-on effect Cup jersey flag, but to deliver that on the big stage um, against um, the Canberra Raiders um, surprised me to the the level of he could do that and keep the consistent to what he's done in the past. That's the thing that surprised me. Um, It looked. Effortless in some stages, and I'm not trying to be. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, and I don't want to be disrespectful to the Raiders um, or that uh, their left edge. But he just looks so comfortable.
0: You wouldn't have thought that that, that was his debut game. Um, it basically, sport, it, to me, it looked like we're watching Will Pennacini. Do you know Like how he how he looks in whatever grade that he's played. It looked like we were watching Will Pennacini doing what he does. And that's what I was suggesting a couple of minutes ago. You know that there was no
3: change in what we've been watching him as a fifteen and sixteen-year-old, uh, but to do it at first grade just demonstrates um, the person or the ability he's got, mixed in with the training and the coaching that he's received. Sixties, um, and, and John, oh, I was going to say. 60- was, oh, sorry, you go, Joey. There was there were some things that um, um, Will. Need to work on. Uh, there was that passing dummy half, which uh, <laughs> Jeff, I, I got, and, you know I'm very disappointed in that because that was one of my forte's back in the day when I was uh, doing a lot of the skill development. But it's not because he can't do it; it's just a, a lapse in mm-hmm. uh, concentration. Yeah. Because we've seen him do it for the last five or six years. I understand that you know he might have came up with uh, two or three uh, defensive uh, misses, um, but that's due to the speed of the game. Uh, these poor guys haven't played a game how long has knock on effect cup um been shut down is it 5 weeks
1: it's got it's gone over a month yeah. Like, right.
3: Yeah. yeah so this is the kid um, uh, to add on to debuting not playing for two or three weeks prior to his debut so i'm not surprised that the um, the speed of the game uh, may uh, defensively but you know, you're talking about one of the strongest left edges in the game, um, and ripping up, ripping wild in that game. Um, he done uh, an outstanding job, and he should be him and his family should be so proud of um, of how he performed.
1: Sixties actually levelled an interesting criticism at Will when we're doing our wrap up of the game, in that there were times where he wished he was he being Sixties wished that Will was a little bit more selfish where, you know, getting in the first grade and, and he was looking for the selfless option with that little uh, pass to Fergo down the short side and he almost should have backed himself. So it, it's interesting that dynamic, isn't it, coming in as a young kid into an established back line and you want to make a name for yourself but you're also trying to do the best thing by your teammates. And finding-
3: and, I, and, I, and I think that's what I was referring to when these young people used to come into football and they'd be um If you got to think he's a, a day-building. He's got a, a, an international player on the outside of him. If he doesn't uh, score that try and Blake through, open, um, the criticism. So there's things that um, he has to deal with mm-hmm. and think about. Um, and all, would all he have done a split in Paul and Matthews? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we'll see that with more games, Jono, as he becomes more um, uh, confident in his exactly. surroundings. Um, but yeah, I think you'll see a lot more of um, him showing and going himself because we know how powerful. And uh, low centre of gravity. yes
0: um, yeah. I, I said after the game that if that was Will Pennacini playing New South Wales Cup, he takes on the fullback in that spot right on the line.
3: I agree. I agree. He takes on rough enough, and um, you know,
0: it's whoever wins the battle there. Yeah. And now um, we have a a listener question, which I reckon is a cracker. Um, and it relates to one of the features of Parramatta's play, which is the Reed Marnie long pass to a, a wide standing half. So the question is basically, um, what is the goal of being able to stand a half so far away from the dummy half? What's trying to be achieved with yes. with that with that particular ploy?
3: That's a real good question, and you see it more and more um, in the game. The, the, the obvious answer, or the the answer is, to create an immediate overlap. Um, the longer the pass, the more defenders you jump um, in getting the ball to the first receiver. So if you've got five attackers versus five defenders, um, the A defender can't... Um, the, the A defender, the first defender behind the ruck, Can't be too wide away from where the play of the ball is, he has got a responsibility to maintain his spot. Now, um, what that does by the first receiver stepping outwards two or three metres or catching the ball on the B defender or the second defender, it's actually created an overlap of a five on four. And that's without the fullback if you've got him out the back. So the long pass gives an opportunity to create an immediate overlap and we're trying to isolate the second defender or the B defender to make a poor decision. If that second defender makes an aggressive decision to try and attack the first receiver, the halfback, that opens the hole up in the next channel. And ultimately, if everyone um, is aggressive, then if you're good enough, you can get the ball as, uh, to the to the center to the winger from the center to the winger on the last pass without a defender, so it causes an immediate overlap
0: with a longer pass. Sixties. Is it is it predicated on the speed of the play of the ball? Like, does the the speed of the play of the ball determine whether you go the, that long pass or not? Like, if it's been a very slow play of the ball, is it is it something that you yes. wouldn't go to um, or or Does it not matter at all?
3: No. In in these cases, um, if the halfback is standing wide, um, there's usually something set up on that edge. And that could be nullified even on a moderate or slow play of the ball because you've created the opportunity to get that overlap. However, in general speaking, if the play of the ball is uh, quick or it's fast or the player – that um, is carrying the ball finds his front. Um, if there's a marker down or the markers aren't set, that gives an opportunity for the dummy half, the fullback, and the five-eighth and halfback to push around the ruck. We would prefer to keep the ball um, close and look for little dents in behind the ruck or around the first, uh, first defender on either side. So, Yes, in aspects when it's quick, we like to stay at the ruck. But even though if it's a slow play of the ball um, and the half is standing wide, the objective is to create the overlap, which will give you an immediate advantage anyway. So you can still take that advantage on a fast or slow play of the ball, 60s.
0: Cheers. When
1: the uh, round counter hits the uh, big two zero and you're in the 20s, you know it's starting to get to the... Business end of the season, Joey, and this week the Eels take on the tricolours, the Sydney Roosters, with the game moving up to Mackay, as the NRL goes uh, regional Queensland. Yep. Parramatta obviously looking to bounce back after that close loss against the Raiders. The Roosters themselves uh, coming off a win, but with injury, I mean, I say injuries, it, it is actually comical, or beyond comical, what they've gone through at this point, Uh if season-enders and players out of position and guys sort of being juggled in different positions. I have got Adam Kieran in the centres this week, a guy that is a halfback or a dummy half. Well, he's a halfback and converted to being a dummy half utility this year by, by trade for the Roosters, and now he's in the centres. How do the Eagles approach this game? Um, it, it's going to be tricky. The Roosters always a big game, tough game, regardless of who they're putting out there. Parramatta needing that bounce-back win, Parramatta needing to get that buffer back for the top-four finish. How do, you, how do you approach this game as the Parramatta Isles? How do we win this game against a team like the Roosters?
3: Yeah, If, if you um, um, didn't watch the game against Canberra Raiders uh, last week and you look purely on the statistics, um, you would have felt that Parramatta won by a try or two. And I'm talking about, um, you know, we had 60% uh, possession. We completed pretty high. I think it was around 85%. Uh, percent. And um, we've made over two thousand meters in our carries, which it's very it's, it's 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 not impossible, but it's it's not likely that a team would run two thousand meters in a game of rugby league. Um, so statistically, um, there's not too much more that we could have done. However, I feel that um, the ascendancy. Uh, particularly in the second half, um, was dominated by the forward pack of the Canberra Raiders, and I think that if we would like to, you know, um, be in the game at the back end of the th- uh, the back end of the game and the chance to win, we're going to have to win it through our forwards. We're going to have to defend and prevent the Wurriah race. Graves, Isaac Liu. I think on the front Victor Radley. Um, Tupendoua, who's playing out of his skin at the moment, and that—that yeah. has that, that there um, is what we need to do um, to, you know, um, go to a long way to get two points this week. Um, our picking game, um, our plays, our scoring opportunities uh, won't come to fruition favourably if we don't dominate the forwards. And I think that whilst it was a really grinding game, last week. I just felt that Canberra Raiders um, gained the ascendancy through the middle part of the football, uh, through the middle part of the footy field uh, with their bigger guys and um, and Rappina had a a wonderful game through the middle of the field as well but I think that's where it starts and stops. Usually I'm really big on the kicking game and trying to promote second phase and so forth but it's just going to come down to um, do we want to be a top four forward pack? or not and that's that's the uh, start and finish of it in my view
0: mate i uh, i'm big on the looking to see the hit and stick with defence and um Rappina looked like he was made of rubber last week it seemed like there were uh, far too many occasions where the hit happened but there was zero stick i think he accounted for about 15 tackle breaks on yeah, his that's own or Fifteen, and so conversely, fifteen missed tackles from the eels on one player, which is like that's near ridiculous. Um, so I, I looked at I looked at the game, and I, like you said, the the stats apart from that pointed towards an eels victory, and then I, I looked at the missed tackles, and I thought, nah, there's there's a story that's in that. Uh, in the missed tackles and then also thought that the, as I said, the the uh, completion rate was very high, but we also, where those errors happened ended up being when we were on attack and deep in attack. And uh, unfortunately, um, that's that's where we, we weren't able to convert uh, chances, yeah. I thought. That, that's that's just my take on the match anyway. Yeah,
3: we, we had um, just under 40 missed tackles uh, and majority... Of those tackles came through our uh, middle forwards, yeah, um, and yeah. I think that there was one occasion where Ruppiner carried the ball, and in one one particular action, we had five players in the middle uh, come up with ineffective tackles, um, yeah. and that's that, that. There, 60s, and Jono is uh, what I'm saying that defensively we have been um, through the middle uh, with our defence uh, running the ball is not a real huge problem for us, given that we carried over 2,000 metres last week. Um, so we tick that box. But the other the other parts of it is that uh, we need to defend um, when we haven't got the ball. And that's that, that will determine if our forward pack are a top four or they want to be a top four or considered to be a top four. Um, it's kind of going to come down to our defence through the middle.
1: All, right, all, all fair and judicious points, Joey. <clears throat> And, yeah, obviously a big game in the context of the run home for the Eels. They'll back this game up into a contest with the Rabbitohs. If I just get the drop here, Rabbitohs, Seagulls, Cowboys, Storm, and Panthers to round out that run home. So you want to get it started with winning against the Roosters tomorrow night. And, yeah, this is a game that needs – it's the get-right game, isn't it? Because you need to get that win on the board, start that run into that gauntlet. And a win here, 60s and, and Joey, gives you that buffer back in the top four, doesn't it?
0: You yeah, know. yeah that four point that four point buffer to the roosters and and you assume then also that the seagulls get the job done and they'll be still four points behind
3: correct it, it, exactly it's it's not only a game where you can kick away but um i think you mentioned it i uh, you know it's a bit of a resettlement um, um game where we can get things ready um because our next um, half dozen games are going to be uh, you know tight contests so if we can improve on last week's game in a couple of areas or one area um, and then we can improve again the following week against south sydney it's a great opportunity people think oh wow we got a hard run home i look at it the other way um we're going to be challenging or hopefully we're going to be challenging at the back end of the season top four so let's have a dress rehearsal now and just let's improve one thing each week and given six six games down the track, we'll know if we're ready to go or not. Yeah, so I know Brad, Brad's the type of person that would uh, um, um, relish the challenge of the next six weeks uh, leading into the game. Um, that's that's better than playing players outside the top eight, which you're expected to beat. So, yeah,
1: um, Iron sharpens iron. You'd rather be battle-hardened coming into the finals and having a cruisy run and sort of – Overval- overvaluing your form, I suppose, because you're beaten up on on the lesser team So, yeah, obviously a tough run. I'm well, I'm not unhappy for it though, and that comes with the, on the back of good news for the Eels. Uh, Murata Niakore initially diagnosed uh, or expected to be diagnosed as a, n- a knee meniscus injury, which had anywhere from two to eight weeks out. Um, he's now projected to be one to two weeks out for the Eels which is obviously a huge and I think Brad out um, in the media today saying that he's projecting Mitchell Moses to return to NRL next week against South Sydney so you get through yeah. this game against the Roosters and you have a real chance to ignite something.
3: Yeah and I'm, I'm sure um, BA and the medical staff up there are doing everything they can and you know they're working with different scenarios and uh, Mitch is not far away uh, from what coach has suggested and um, great news on Murata because he's just such a valuable piece in our uh, each uh, 17 each week moving forward and um, just just I, I don't want to focus too much on opposition teams but um, whilst um, I don't think outside or Parramatta played that bad last week um, there was a a massive effort with the Canberra Raiders. They've got a little bit of momentum or wins in the sale, and it just showed uh, last week. I thought uh, they were one of the best-performing teams um, over the round, over the weekend, um, in beating Parramatta last week. So, you know, if they don't bring that A game, or there's one player that's off, or Jordan uh, or if Rappina doesn't have the game that he has... We're not talking about losing last week. No, We're talking. Cam- about. Canberra played
1: a great game, and yeah. it feels like, it feels like round 19 saw a concerted effort from the underdogs to try and spoil contests. The Cowboys nearly knocked over the Storm. The uh, Broncos really pushed the Panthers, and the Bulldogs gave the Sharks a bit of a scare at, at points in that in that contest on Sunday. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what was in the water in Queensland in that particular week, <laughs> but the underdogs certainly got up for a fight, and it was the closest round of football we've seen in some time, given the blowouts that have been the norm.
3: Yeah given the blowout scores 30 40 50 points over the last uh month two months um yeah i I couldn't agree more with you but um brad's a wonderful job up there with his staff and you know we talk about uh, the players um you know the advantages and disadvantages of being away um give some consideration for the staff where they don't have their normal resources available Mm -hmm. where they're making up things on the run because they haven't got access to gymnasiums. They've got a share of field that's uh, scheduled by the NRL with three or four other clubs. And, um, you know, their diligence to um, intellectual property and, and, and that kind of stuff is it, – it's very hard. So to, uh,
1: so many moving pieces, isn't it? It is an absolute uh, Leviathan that you're trying to keep in motion between 16 clubs and you know, sixteen clubs, thirty players each club, support staff every club. And like I said, you're, you're balancing facilities. You're you're getting rescheduled from uh, the Gold Coast to Mackay. There's always stuff happening every day, every minute, every hour.
0: And you've and you've also got that responsibility that they're going to throw on them, or extra demands demands they'll throw on them to stay connected with the fan base who can't get to the games, and they want to keep them engaged with the football. So it's it, it's adding an extra uh, dimension. There's probably going to be a little bit of emphasis on the players to find a little bit of social media content themselves to share with supporters yeah, over these it, times.
3: You know, we talk about staff not having access to their resources. We've got limited staff that work in the back office in the media department that are up there who are... Uh, you know, working a little ad hoc, if you like, um, and yeah, it's not only affecting the players and all the coaching staff, but the actual club. Um, so uh, I, I do. We, we all appreciate that they they're, they're going out of their way, and, and as Cherry Evans said a couple of weeks ago, the sacrifices that they're making does not outweigh, um, you know, uh, the the level. Of of change that they need to adopt for the next remainder of the season. Um, but it can't be easy. It can't be easy.
1: Now, Joe, yeah. before we do sign off with you, uh, last week, 60s had a little segment he was teasing for this week where we're going to nominate our best and worst homes away from home in terms of footy. The grounds that you go out to visit the away team and the ones that you like to go to and the ones that you detested. Um, and we, we have the local domestic sort of grounds covered, although we'd love to hear your opinions there. But you also bring a bit of international flavour to that discussion, given your 10 years in England. So um, you want to give us some of your favourite places to play away from your home stadiums? Or, yeah. Or, or um, uh, the, the
3: best place that, uh, we, we've, um, that I've been at um, is Manchester City. Uh, we, we had the, um, the magic weekend um, in Manchester City. And it was the end of their regular season and uh, they had 10 games and they normally put the more favourable or seasoned or followed uh, teams at the back end of Saturday, the back end of Sunday. Now, unfortunately, the London Broncos weren't uh, doing too well. So we played La Cattle and Dragons in the first game at 10 o'clock at uh, Manchester City's um, home ground. And it was like playing on a billiard table. The facilities there, I didn't want to get up and walk around in the dressing room. I didn't want to dirty anything. Um, the facilities that they have in football in England and the uh, dressing room access, and there are rooms for rooms inside of rooms over there. It's just phenomenal. The
1: A- NRL facilities. clubs are million-dollar franchises. The uh, English Premier League clubs are billion-dollar franchises. So. There
3: you go. <laughs> and uh, um, equally, or unequally, on the other side of the we um, played a game in Cass, in Castleford, at the jungle, they called it. And I know why it's called the jungle if you go in the dressing rooms. They had a... Um, um, a you get off the bus and you walk in the rear entry of the uh, facility at the jungle, and you, it's under the um, home um, stand. You go in there and they've got... Uh, on the floor in the dressing room it's it it's got uh, a wooden seats that you got splinters on around the perimeter and it's got on the floors remember in the uh, 50s and 60s those little diamond tiles the really slippery ceramic ones we've got footy boots
1: oh my goodness
3: on the uh, in the dressing room and where it all got these really shiny ceramic tiles on the floor. There were people slipping over because they had their springs on and boots. And the beauty of it, you had one toilet without a door adjacent to where the players were getting dressed. <laughs> it was unbelievable.
0: Oh, oh, oh. Oh, no. that, that sounds like it's, it potentially was worse than Cumble and Oval. Shit's.
3: <laughs> well, I, I was never fortunate enough to go to Cumberland Oval, but um, I know they've fixed it up now and spent a lot of money there. But you know what? It, it, it was a, it was a uh, an advantage to Cass. You would go there and you would know what you're walking into, and you tell the players, look, don't don't let it worry you. It's part of the tax but you can't not let it worry you. <laughs>
0: you're your well, on you you'd, you'd say to them, make sure you go to the bog before we, <laughs> before we play.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the old uh, fashioned one, um, they had uh, two showers, one head was broken, and it was only cold water. Oh and if you're in North England, um, there were a couple of uh, um, unclean boys that jumped on the bus and went back to London after that game. Let me wow. tell you,
0: wow! <laughs> and, oh, I imagine that the home shed was a little bit different too.
3: I wouldn't, I wouldn't know because we couldn't get out of there quick enough when we finished the game. I didn't <laughs> want to have, have a look.
1: Yeah, domes- domestically, <laughs> obviously, you know, with the juniors and Reggie's, we spent a lot of time in some of the suburban grounds, and I was never partial going to. I know it's revered, but uh, as a you know one of the eighth treasures of the world, whatever, but. I never really enjoyed getting out to Leichhardt. Uh obviously Brookvale was never fun to get out to, uh, going all the way to the other side of the city and, and Brookvale itself being the bog. Um but I was always partial. It, it obviously uh now it's in the process of being raised into a new stadium. But I always loved getting out to the old football stadium. Um that was like one of the great rectangular stadiums uh before it got knocked down. Um so yeah, that was always a good one as a fan to get out to. Sixties, what, what was um your best and worst?
0: Uh Geez, back in the day, um, I would have said that uh, one of the grounds that I enjoyed the most would have been uh, probably the SCG, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm talking about you know right back in the day when every ground was uh, like a um, like not too dissimilar to Cumberland Oval, so it was it was uh, a, a good ground to get to, and I had some good memories from getting out to the SCG, some premierships that I was able to see. Um, I, look, I didn't mind uh, Belmore as far as facilities. Yeah, I don't mind, I don't mind facilities.
1: In terms of um, um, suburban grounds, Belmore's probably a little bit underappreciated compared to the likes of Leichhardt.
0: Yeah, um, but in terms of the, the, and I'm talking back then, the ground that I hated was Lidcombe Oval. I hated it with a passion. I, ne- I can't remember ever seeing Parramatta win there, despite... The success of the team in the late seventies, early eighties, couldn't get over West, and it was a damned awful ground to watch football at. You had the big bike track, you had a you had a hill that had no elevation, <laughs> and a stand that was half the size of the stand at Cumberland Oval. So it was just it was just a, a god awful ground to go and watch football at. Nowadays, obviously. Um, there's, a, there's a few decent grounds to go to But like you, uh, now I rank uh, probably um, Leichhardt down near the bottom um, On a crowded a crowded Leichhardt And especially trying to get away from there But I don't think the facilities are great Brookvale is awful, just absolutely awful um, You pay a stack of money to go and if you want to sit in the stand And you've barely got any room in, in the stand, I, like mine, every time I've gone there, my knees go into the seat of the uh, in front of me. That's how that's how little the space is between the seats. Um, yeah, no, it's they're they're probably sitting right at the bottom as far as I could say. And do you know what? I not I didn't mind uh, Wynn Stadium down at Wollongong. We mm-hmm. uh, went down there a couple of years back for um, a match, and it was um, uh, it was up. Right, I was right at the nosebleed section of the newest stand but I thought it was a fantastic uh, venue a great view of the ocean from the stand um, we had a good win when we were down there so that was great and uh, I think Melbourne's home ground yeah,
1: um, I'll, I'll, it goes out saying that Amy is a great one and, and as Amy well, is Sun, a, yeah Suncorp too if you've been up there for the Queensland equivalent of it and I suppose uh, Suncorp Amy and now Bank West are almost the Holy Trinity of the you know new age stadiums aren't they the you know state of the art uh, built for rugby league and you, you can see why when you attend there uh, the game is the product is that much better and and speaking of uh, product I didn't have a chance to watch a game there but when I was uh, in year twelve toured New Zealand as a schoolboy with the the old school and we got to get a tour of Eden Park which is obviously one of the cathedrals yeah uh, of uh, both co or especially rugby union but league does go there every now and then. Um, obviously a great thing, unfortunately, didn't get to watch a game there, but that was certainly a a fun experience there to go to one of the uh, hallowed venues of the uh, oblong ball. So,
0: yeah. There you go. uh, Joey, we've got John, the uh, touring uh, football player.
1: Yeah, I I toured Canada and I toured New Zealand. Uh, There you go. One for New South Wales country and one for school. So.
0: I'd love to see you
3: get the shorts back on and give one more go. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I, fortunately for me, I didn't have to take the shorts off on the the Canada tour squad. <laughs> a try, so I didn't well, have to I, do the run.
3: I'd, I'd encourage you and your listeners when uh, when things change, uh, get out to Etihad Stadium. I think it's called now at um, uh, Manchester City. It's uh, it's another world. And um, as I said at the top of the show, uh, John Owen Sixties, I think that you know, you guys doing this podcast and the rugby league going on, gives gives people a little bit of a break from their norm uh, at the moment, given that there's an extension in lockdown in Sydney or Greater greatest Sydney. And um, I really hope genuinely from the heart um, that your listeners um, are doing okay. And there's always, you know, there's people you can talk to and there's uh, resources out there that can help people if they are struggling. And uh, for someone that's um, had some um, you know, mental concerns in the past, it's okay uh, not to feel okay. I know that's, that's mm, that, used that, that, a is lot.
1: Su- that is such a good thing to air, Joey. It's a terrific sentiment. It is okay not to feel okay. Like, you should um, not feel ashamed. You should not feel like it's wrong. If, if things are getting you down, talk to someone. You know, speak to a friend, reach out. Um, you know, don't feel ashamed.
3: Absolutely, mate. And you guys are doing a hell of a job. And uh, the best part of my day is um, – when the kids used to go to school, because that means I'd be home alone and uh, catching up with you guys um, each week on the podcast. So hopefully uh, your listeners can get a bit of an insight. And I'd I'd encourage those uh, questions to keep on coming in and maybe throw a comment in there, your best and worst grounds that you've been at, um, and have a bit of um, um, a chat on that.
1: Joey, it's uh, pretty much my favourite half hour of the week and it's always a shame to have to wrap things up. But we do have to let you get back to doing the things you need to do. Um, obviously, working an important job for our mighty Parramatta Eels. Uh, always a pleasure, mate. Love chatting to you. Hope you have a great weekend and hopefully the Eels get that big win on Thursday night.
3: Yeah, hey, we're, we're crossing our fingers. And thanks, Jono. Thanks, Sixties. And um, um, just a shout out to all you wonderful listeners to the Cumberland Throw.
0: Love you, Cheers, Joey. Cheers, mate. Cheers,
1: mate. Catch you next week. Good on you, guys. All right, 60s, it's been a mammoth episode of the tip sheet. Let's wrap things up quickly for go-home segment on the actual preview. Very quickly, I will go through team lists and then go through predictions pretty much. Uh, for the Roosters, James Tedesco will captain them from fullback. Daniel Tupo on one flank with Joey Manu on the other. Uh, Josh Morris and Adam Kieran, who we already spoke about with Joey, in the centers for the Roosters as they adjust to an injury-riddled back line no Ikavalu and uh, no Billy Smith, who's been horribly unlucky if injuries, their young kid. Uh, in the halves, Drew Hutchison and Sam Walker will take on the Eels in 6th and 7th, respectively. Very strong forward pack featuring the likes of Jared Royer Hargraves and Isaac Liu in the front row, Sam Verrills at dummy half. Angus Crichton, Satili Tupania, and Victor Radley round out a very impressive back row and a very strong forward pack, it must be said. On the bench, on Lamb, Nat Butcher, Egan Butcher, the brothers there, 15 and 16, and a bit of a surprise the motion, but CSI Atakiaho is the uh, last man on the bench and give them plenty of impact from the rotation. Extended roster features Ben Marsh, Fletcher Baker, Moala Graham Tafa, and Nafahu White. Um, and I always remember Marshk now after we called that game, and one of the, the tips this for us told us that there's the brothers. So <clears throat> there you go. For the Eels, couple of changes. Quentin uh, Gufferson, captain of fullback, so you've got uh, captain v. captain in the number ones. Micah Sivo and Blake Ferguson retaining their spots on the wing this week. Tom Opachuk is back in the centres, and he'll be partnering Fergo on that right edge. Wonga Blake on the left with Micah. Dylan Brown and Jake Arthur once again in the halves. As we mentioned earlier, Brad Arthur today in the press saying that Mitchell Moses is expected to be back next week, which means Jake Arthur holding down the fort for one last game. In the front row, Eels have a fantastic matchup there. With the hyphens, uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard up against Jared Warrior Hargrave, and then Junior Paul up against Isaac Liu. With Reed Marnie at dummy half, as I Papalii, Ryan Madison, and Nathan Brown round out an unchanged back row for the blue and gold. Bryce Cartwright is back into the team this week with Morata Niakore getting that one to two week rest for a knee injury. So he's got the 14, Sean Lane, Oregon Kafusi, and Will Smith, otherwise, returning from round 19. Hayes Dunster, Ray Stone, Will Penasini, and Joey Lussick are the extended roster options for the Eels, but we're not expecting anything too crazy in terms of shakeups before tomorrow night, are we, 60s?
0: No, I think we will take the field one,
1: Mm-hmm. And we already covered a big part of this game in depth with our, our chat the Joey. Me, personally... Um, I'm looking for a big game from Quinton Gufferson, um, I think he might have been a little bit shaken up from the Titans game, he got that late hit in the ribs uh, two weeks ago, which I think impacted him last week against the Raiders, but I'm looking for our captain to have a huge bounce back game, um, you know, Tom will do the job at right centre, and you know, just in general, you think the forward pack be a little bit sharper, and the spine in general will want to capitalise on those squandered opportunities that they had against the Raiders, so... Uh, yeah, Roosters, wounded team, still going to be very dangerous. Outstanding forward pack, still got weapons in that back line. Joey Marno was a sensational talent. James Tedesco, obviously, origin and international star. Daniel Tupo, representative caliber winger. So they've got, still going to be a threat. How do you see this one playing out as we move to our predictions now, mate?
0: Well, look, I agree with you wholeheartedly about Gutho. You know you always get him giving absolutely 100%. Uh, I think he was maybe just... Down a little bit in execution the last couple of weeks, so uh, I'm expecting a big performance from him. Uh, obviously, the forwards are our strength. You want them to be uh, producing again, but you also want them to be producing that little bit more in attack, especially when it uh, when there's those opportunities to link as forwards. We saw the previous week with um, the forwards causing havoc to the Titans, not not just in their in their carries, but the way they supported each other. The, the try to read Marnie was an obvious example of that. You also had um, the way that uh, Madison was offloading in that game against the Titans. So I want to see just that little bit more from the forwards in terms of the questions that are being asked. As for the Roosters, Joey Manu is just the absolute class player. I really believe... That he's been holding that team together to the extent that he's a more important player to the Roosters than Teddy is at fullback. It's a I bit call,
1: think- but geez, the way they deploy him because he plays anywhere from one to six for them—that's that, just crazy. Like wherever they need him, he'll go in there and do a great job. So I don't think it's as outlandish as you look at it on the surface. Joey Minor was a superb player.
0: Yeah, and the other, the other, and and just incidentally, I I did write a a post on uh, Parramatta's roster for next year. And I added in there with a recruitment wish that I'd hope that Parramatta would go with open checkbook just about to Joey Manu for 2023, because you can start approaching him uh, come November if the... And look, the Roosters don't tend to lose anyone. Uh, but he started to feature in terms of clubs that are likely to chase him and come after him. The, the Warriors have featured in... That sort of talk, saying that they are likely to offer the same sort of money as uh, Tua Shek had been on with them, that he that he's the man they see replacing him there. But uh, Parramatta hasn't really gone big after marquee players in recent years. I would suggest that he would be one that we could make that we should make an exception for. I'm sure none of the fans would disagree with that. But just on this match again. When I look back to the match earlier in the year and there's a lot of similarities, the Roosters are still down in troops and you've got Parramatta again looking to make a statement about their credentials for the end of the season. There's no doubt that the Roosters have performed incredibly well considering their injury list. And I don't think the team that they're trotting out is very different to the team that that we took on and beat at Bankwest Stadium earlier in the season, if, if anything, they might be struggling a little bit more than what they were back then. Of the players that are still there, I think we did a, a very good job of shutting down uh, the um, uh, the young half there, who's had a he, look. He's had a, I think he's had a a mixed season. Sam Walker, I think he's got an exceptional talent. But he does get found out in defence. And a lot of people have been pointing to Jake Arthur missing a tackle last week that led to a try. Well, if you go and have a look at how the Roosters look to protect Sam Walker in games, um, I know that Jake Arthur is a better defensive half than what Sam Walker is. And Sam Walker is an immense talent. He's one of those players who's going to be around and make his mark in the game for a very, very long time, but he like Jake Arthur, he is a young half and he's a young half on the light side and there just isn't the criticism that comes his way that has been leveled at Jake Arthur this in this last week or so. and unfortunately from Parramatta's own fans. Which is we, we do oh, love think, to hold
1: our young kids uh, to insane standards, don't we? It, it is no. The NRL is one of the toughest gigs in the world in terms of the the competition and the level of play you're going to see as a young kid. So it's always worth bearing that in mind. When, you know, it, it's okay to be upset in the heat at the moment, but think about <laughs> think about the bigger picture here because it, it isn't always easy.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and and one of the things that I and before I don't want to go on too much about this, but unfortunately, some supporters. Are very quick to um, under underwrite. Uh, can I say, understate the um, how well Parramatta might have performed in certain games? For example, getting the win over the Storm, uh, coming within a point of the Panthers, and, they, and they're quick to say, "Oh, but the Storm weren't in form at the start of the." Year. I mean, this is a team that has a record of starting every season off with a bang. The Melbourne Storm, mm-hmm. or or that. Uh, Penrith had Cleary out well I'll, you turn around straight away and you can say well Reed Marnie was out for the Eels and he touches the ball more often than a halfback would touch the ball but that doesn't seem to matter because uh, they lost by a point to them so we're obviously not able to compete with Penrith and in beating the Storm earlier in the year oh well the Storm obviously didn't have the weren't in form yet so it doesn't matter and it was all the way back in round two so it doesn't matter I mean this is this is some of the logic that you have to deal with with um, naysay uh, supporters. It doesn't mean that you you you're, you can't be critical of your own team, but as you say, you have to put things into perspective and give credit where it's due. We've had some shocking games this year. The, the losses to Manly, the loss to St George, um, the loss to South were diabolical games. Absolutely diabolical games. Where um, I mean, you and I were um, we watched that uh, Manly game. At uh, at Bank West, shaking our head at the effort that was that was put in there. Um, it's yeah. it we've we've seen those sorts of performances this year. But when we've had the the good games, and that's let's face it, we've got a thirteen five record at the moment. There's been plenty to cheer about. So what I'm expecting this week is pretty much what we were able to deliver earlier in the season when we played the Roosters. We'll shut Sam Walker down. Um, he's got the same halves partner that he had in that match, um, and of course we obviously wish him well because he is in he is re, uh, he's only returned recently from the injury that he suffered when we uh, took them on last time, Hutchinson. So um, well done to him for being able to get back onto the field this year. Um, but the forwards were able to dominate in that game, and I thought the score line when we played the Roosters the first time probably flattered, flattered the Roosters, if any. So. Um, yeah, I'm expecting a, a, a solid performance, a solid win um, against a team who has done exceptionally well with all the players they've had out.
1: All right, call your shot. Uh, give us the score and your first try scorer.
0: Okay, so uh, my score line this week is uh, Parramatta 28, Roosters 14, and uh, first try scorer, I'm going to go with... Wait for a drum roll. Wonga Blake.
1: Wonga Blake. Get that big try on the board. I'm going to go for a slightly narrower margin there. I'll go for the Eels 20 to the Roosters 12, and I'll go Dylan. Dylan Brown to get the first try score. And, yeah.
0: I think, and look, I think it's worthwhile just having a, a, a quick mention of Dylan Brown because I really believe that that time that he spent out has him back and tr- really, really focused, and I think his his running game is on point. And for anyone anyone that was had any question about Dylan's pace, that try that he scored last week, running down the kick from Blake Ferguson to just shoot past the Raiders players, uh, I think that made quite a statement about just. The, the pace of, uh, of Dylan, even even more so than his try the previous week.
1: He's got some serious wheels and you always love to see him back himself. but Yeah, so we're both tipping a, a good win by the Eels here. They need it, obviously, with that run coming through and um, the opportunity to put that buffer up between them and five and six would be huge. Um, catch all the action tomorrow, Thursday night at uh, just about eight o'clock, isn't it? I think it's 7.50 p.m. kickoff. BB Print Stadium at Mackay. Uh, this is a Roosters home game. But that doesn't mean much. <laughs> the current flux of the NRL does it, as we mentioned um, when chatting with Joey and uh, and uh, ourselves, sorry, is that um, there is no real home games anymore barring the handful of Queensland teams. So, yeah, good chance for the Eels to uh, forge ahead. As always, thanks for stopping by and having a listen. This was a bit of a bumper episode um, with two guests. We do thank Sean for stopping by, as well as Joey, for always given us that slice of time in his week. Um, it is truly a privilege to be able to have that opportunity. We always love chatting to Joey and our guests. And Sixties, mate, always fun to talk for you here. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up tomorrow night for an Instant Reaction podcast following a good win.
0: Mate, I... I- Certainly, much prefer the instant reaction podcast after a win than after a loss. I, I do say that. Lastly,
1: <laughs> last week's was a little bit cathartic, though. I did enjoy um, having a chance to uh, vocalise frustrations and also, you know, the, the positives out of a very tough contest. So, yeah, it, it's not always doom and gloom, uh, much to the chagrin of uh, <laughs> some some of the fandom. I feel like, uh, but yeah, you know, there's no reason why you can't be critical in a loss. But you know, sometimes you got to draw the line and realize that. You know, the these are human beings you're talking about, um, and you can you know say very hurtful things. So yeah, Parramatta to get back on track this week. We both see it that way, which is always good. And yeah, we'll um we'll be back soon with a follow up podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Indeed, thanks for stopping by. Keep well, guys. See you next time.